Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 9 and chapter 10. I'll, I'll, I'll read a few verses from each chapter, and we'll, and we'll get into that um, here in just a moment. But we're going we're gonna to actually finish up this series on spiritual warfare. This will be the fifth sermon. And today I want to talk to you specifically about lifestyle warfare. We, we've talked about a lot of different things um, in this series, we talked about a war- warfare worldview where we just fully understand that what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross was He disarmed the demonic powers that held us captive so that we no longer had to live in darkness any longer, but now we could be set free to live for Jesus Christ. We talked about different warfare ta- tactics. We talked about the power of, of prayer and fasting and praise and worship and, and, and different things like that, the power of a prophetic word and encouraging word. We talked about how that... Um, that bitterness and unforgiveness is, is a strategy that Satan uses to keep us divided and to keep us held captive and in bondage. And then we, last week we talked about the armor of God, and we covered that in Ephesians 6. And this week I just want to talk to you, I want to close it out, uh, talking about lifestyle warfare. So stay there in, in Luke chapter 9, chapter 10. And, and take this mic, mic down just to, just to touch, please. Because I'm going to holler at everybody here in a minute. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm not, hopefully. Um, so let's, let's pray together real quick, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we, just, we thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, we thank you for your presence. And, and God, we need you to speak to us every morning, because we, we, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And God, that's got to be a now word. So I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak your words, and Lord, that you would open our ears to hear And God, I pray that you would just set people free and that you would stir in people's hearts this morning in a way that you never have to help them to realize what you're calling calling them to in this moment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about lifestyle warfare. Now, you know, when Jesus calls us, he actually called us and 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 he says to his disciples, he says to you and I, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So we are sent on the same mission to carry out, as the body of Christ, the same mission that the Father sent the Son to fulfill. And Paul actually said it like this. He said, we are ambassadors for Christ's sake, pleading on behalf of God to the broken world around us, be reconciled to God, because Jesus has done a work that has, has made a way and paved a way for every single human being on the planet to be set free from the powers of darkness and to be reconciled to God and to experience His love. So see, we are these ambassadors of God. We're ambassadors of Christ sent forth into the world to preach this gospel so that people can be reconciled to the Father. And Paul says there's this one thing that actually compels us to be ambassadors for Christ's sake. Do you know what that is, that one thing? That one thing is love. That one thing is love. See, because I don't, I don't know what compels you to do what you do, and sometimes I, I try to evaluate maybe what is actually compelling me to do what I do every day. But a Christian is growing to the place where just like God, the Scripture says that God so loved the world that He gave. See, when Jesus is doing something in our hearts, what He's trying to do is put love in our hearts to the degree that love compels us to do what God has called us to do. See, because I could preach and try to, try to get you to do things and try to tell you, man, you need to go out and do this and you need to reach the lost and you need to do that. And you would feel obligated because the preacher's preaching for you to do something to go out and do something. How many of those obligation doesn't work too often? 
Amen? It just doesn't. I could preach as hard as I wanted to, but really at the end of the day, it comes down to whether you and I have a living relationship with a living God who is love. God is love. Jesus Christ was love embodied, and He revealed that love by setting the afflicted free, by healing the sick, by reaching out to a broken world, and He went out of His way on a daily basis to live a life of self-sacrificial, self-giving love. And that love was the greatest warfare against the powers of darkness. I want you to understand that we got all kinds of different weapons. We've got armor that we put on. But the greatest weapon of the Christian church in our world today where there's brokenness and darkness and hate and violence and so many things going on in the world is love, period. And you know that this this place right here should actually be a love factory. Amen? It should be a place where when people come in, it just feels different than any, any other place in the world. And I, I was reading something the other day about Jesus and why, why so many people were able to receive from Jesus when they wanted to receive from Him. And it was because, not because, you know, Jesus always accredited it to their faith. But you know that the Bible says that faith works through love. Faith works through love. And what that means is, is the reason they had such amazing faith to believe Jesus for miracles and that they, they believed that they could just touch the hem of His garment that they would be made whole in a moment of time. But the reason they had such great faith to reach out was because they knew how loved they were by Jesus. Faith works through love. Love creates faith in a person where they begin to understand, man, God will do anything for me because He loves me. And here's what we believe. We believe that the gospel has the power to set you completely free from whatever you're dealing with. Whatever you're dealing with. Whether it's depression or anxiety or fear or you just can't simply get your life in order. You're confused about a lot of things. We believe that if you're addicted to drugs or you grew up in a home where you were in abuse and you're struggling with different things from your past, we believe that the gospel is holistic. And the truth is, is if a person chooses to remain in that bondage, it's simply because they choose. Because Jesus has paid for something on the cross and the gospel can set any human being free. Amen? And we believe that. And if we truly believe that, then what happens is is we're compelled by love. We understand that the end is coming very soon. And when that end comes, what matters is whether or not people have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we have that, but yet somehow we're not moved and compelled by love to bring that same thing to those people that are in brokenness and in darkness, we're missing something in our hearts that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. Now in Ephesians 6.12, we read this verse like a million times now, but in Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in, in, in heavenly places. So we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, and one of the primary tactics, one of the main tactics of the devil, right, is that he wants to bring division among us. He wants to bring hate He wants to bring violence. He wants us to judge other people. He wants us to be critical of other people. He wants us to maybe try to separate ourselves from other people and distance ourselves from other people, always eyeing other people with a negative view so that there is no love between us. But see, we begin to understand that we battle by refusing to not love flesh and blood. That's how we battle. See, we're we're, we're never at war with people, no matter how crazy people are. Amen? No matter how bad they may seem in your eyes, no matter how bad it seems to look in their lives, we are never at war with people. And one of the ways that we actually go to war against the enemy is by refusing to never not love anyone for any purpose whatsoever. That is your greatest act of warfare in this life. And it's actually a very difficult one to hold. And you say, well, you know, that's easy, Clay. We, we already know that. 
Yeah, but living it is a different thing, isn't it? And see, Jesus, he, he represented this because Jesus loved us while we were crucifying him. While we were crucifying him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did not resist. He did not react. He did not even defend himself, but he prayed for our forgiveness. And demons are constantly at work to bring hostility between us and others. And the only way that we can change the world around us is whenever people know that no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, the Christian people are people that are going to love them self-sacrificially and in a self-giving way. Amen? So with that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is demonstrating his love to the world, but see, he wasn't just going to leave it with him. And, and, and he wanted to teach his disciples this. So in Luke chapter 9, I want to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Right? And then in verse 6 it says, So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then in chapter 10, if you flip over to chapter 10, he's continuing to go. I want to read several verses here. And it says, After these things, the Lord then appointed 70 others also. So he had his 12 disciples that he was sending out. And when he sent them out, he said, Look, I want you to go into all these towns. I want you, I'm giving you authority and power over all demons to deal with that if you have to deal with a demon. But he said, when you go into these towns, I want you to preach the kingdom of heaven and I want you to heal the sick when you go into these areas. And that's interesting, isn't it? But then he didn't just send his 12, but now he's, he's actually appointing 70 more. So he's trying to increase the amount of people that are actually going out into the darkness. So he says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, now skip on down to verse 17. And when the seventy returned, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something, because this whole, this whole series, we've called it like lightning, and this is where it comes to, right? It's from this verse, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, I sent you out to go into the places where there was darkness. And I sent you out to go into places where you were going to find people that were unbelievers. They were going to be afflicted. They were going to be broken. They were going to be demonized. They were going to be abused and depressed and angry and frustrated and hopeless. They were going to be sick. 
There were going to be all these things going on in these people's lives. And when you go out and preach the kingdom of God to them, and you begin to bring healing into their life, and you begin to minister to them, he said, you know what was going on while you were doing that? He said, I was watching Satan's empire fall. Literally, he was saying, in that moment, while you were doing those things, I was seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It was a present tense word in the Greek where he was literally saying, while you were doing those things, you were toppling Satan's empire. Now, this is a big point for us because even last week we talked about the armor of God. And a lot of times when we talk about spiritual warfare, the aspect that we hold on to the most dear is we're trying to protect ourselves from attack all the time. Right. We talked about how Satan likes to light fires around us so that we never stay focused on what God has actually called us to do. But we're not called to stay in the defensive mode all the time. If we are truly engaged in spiritual warfare, then we are the church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We are called to take ground on a regular basis and any church should be constantly taking ground seeing people saved seeing lives transformed seeing the sick healed seeing the depressed coming into new life and seeing people set free from the bondages of their past and this is what Jesus has called us to do and he's saying when you go out and you start doing that and when you step into the authority that I've called you to live in and you you begin to speak the kingdom into people's lives and you don't just stay quietly in your own little circle just trying to make it through the next day and play defense all the time he said when you step out and you're on the offense and you begin to penetrate the gates of hell he said I'm watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning Because the gates of hell cannot stand against the true church who knows who they are and what God has called them to do. And he's sending them out in this way. So let's break this down and let's look at what lifestyle warfare really looks like, right? So the first verse, he sends out these 70s and he sends them two two by two before his face into every city and place. Before his face. Now here's what I want you to understand. Do you know that every home in this community, no matter how messed up it is, we used to go down there to... uh, to Bridge Street, and I walked into a couple of guys' apartments several times, and they had, just, they had just got done shooting up. And they could barely talk. Matter of fact, when they would get up to walk, they would just fall over. And we, we experienced these things going on, and you go into the midst of that darkness, and see, Jesus is sending you before His face, before His presence. Literally, the word there in the Greek face is the same word for presence. And what Jesus is trying to say to you is He's saying, look, I want to invade every place in this world. I really do. I want to invade every place, but I've made it in such a way that my presence does not go where you've not gone first. You see that? He says, I send you before my face. I send you before my presence. And when you go into a place, there are places right now where yes, God is everywhere, but His presence is not currently there. Currently there is darkness that is keeping people bound. And Jesus is saying, I want to invade that area, but you are my delegated authority and my presence will not go unless you go before my presence. You are the ones that are sent to go before me and where you go, you will usher in my presence into that place. That's why it's so important that we take this commandment that where he's sending us out. And then in the next verse, verse 2, he begins to say, verse 2, he says, now the, the harvest is truly great. What he's saying is, is man, there is, it's ripe for the picking. There are people everywhere that need the gospel and that I want to save and that I want to heal and I want to deliver. But he says, He says, but the laborers are few, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now, why do you think that the laborers are few? I think personally the laborers are few because oftentimes as Christians we're bound by fear, we're bound by intimidation, 
We don't feel like we're worthy enough. And oftentimes when we hear this call, we actually don't believe that this call is for us. We believe that it's for the special person that preaches on occasion. Amen? And what God is saying, what Jesus is saying is everybody that I call, I call to be a disciple. And everybody that I call is called to go into the darkness to shine as a light into the world. That you're not supposed to put this light up under a bushel where nobody can see it. But you're supposed to make this thing shine in the darkest of places. And if you are a Christian, this thing is on the inside of you. And he said, but the laborers are few because they're afraid to get out in the mix. They're afraid to get out into the harvest. There's fear that is weighing you down and pulling you back. So he says, pray... Right? The Lord of the harvest, that He would send laborers out into His harvest. Now there's this Greek word, ekbalo. It's the same word that Jesus used for casting out demons. And He says, I want you to be cast out into the harvest with the same passion that I want to get people set free from the demonic. Does that make sense to you? Jesus is saying, I want people set free so badly that I cast it out with force. But I want people saved so badly that I want to cast you out with force. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you have my love in your heart for this lost and broken world, there is something that compels you and thrusts you out into the harvest. And he's saying, so you need to begin to pray that the Lord of the harvest would thrust these people out and thrust you out into the harvest to do his work. So then in verse 3, he says, go... I send you out as lambs among wolves. So here's, here's, the, here's the next thing that he's saying, is that when you live in this world, what you're going to find out is this is a wolf world. Amen? I mean, I talk, I talk sometimes, we got, we got guys that are in, you have different jobs, and you face some crazy people sometimes. Anybody ever face any crazy people out there? They're out there. And sometimes it's very hard to deal with. And sometimes it, what, what, he, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, you're living in a wolf world. There are going to be some crazy people. There's going to be some demonized people. There's going to be some people that hate you. And for his disciples, thank God we ain't got to deal with this right now, but for his disciples, they wanted to kill them often. And he said, you're going out among wolves, but I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And, and see, Jesus was the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the lamb. We look at his character. And that means that when a wolf tries to come to bite us, we cannot bite back. We always respond with lamb-like, self-sacrificial, serving love, even in the face of evil. Because see, we're not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. We never return cursing, we never return cursing with cursing, but we return a cursing with blessing. And even among the church, oftentimes when difficult things happen, what, people, what, what, what we want to do and what Satan wants to do is get us to continually to return a curse for a curse. But he's saying, look, you are lambs and you follow the lamb and you're to live a lamb-like life in the midst of a bunch of wolves. And then in verse 4, he says to greet, greet nobody along the road. In other words, he's saying don't get distracted, but stay on task. And here's really the first point that I'm trying to make is that if you are going to live a lifestyle of warfare, if you're going to live a lifestyle where the enemy is afraid of you and you are overcoming the enemy, you have to understand evangelism. Amen? Now, this, is, this is one of those sermons like when I was preparing it, I'm like, yeah, I know this ain't going to get nobody excited. No, nobody likes messages about evangelism because you are immediately challenged in your spirit, aren't you? Y'all are already, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. I don't even like to hear it. But see, what Jesus is saying, he's saying that evangelism and sharing the good news with this broken and lost world is one of the primary ways that you go to war with the enemy. And, and, and you actually experience, and here's what I want to say. I want to tell you that the, the very reason that you feel so much tension reveals that there's warfare in that area. 
Amen? The very reason you feel that much tension when you think about situations like that reveals that there's a lot of warfare in that area. And, and you are involved in spiritual conflict when you share the good news with someone and pr- play a role in bringing them to faith. You realize that. Anybody in your life, whether it's a family member or a friend or your neighbor down the road and they don't know Jesus, when you begin to even think in your mind, when you begin to even think in your mind, you know what, that, that, that we can lead this person to Jesus, we can love this person, we can serve this person, Satan begins to reinforce his gates and says, this is our territory, we've claimed this property, and he is going to resist you at all costs to keep you from taking the step of faith that will keep those gates from coming down so we can get in there and bind the strong man and bring them out of that bondage, amen? That's, that, that's, that's, what, that's what's going on when we begin to even think in this way. Satan, the enemy, the Scripture says he has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ should shine into their hearts. He has literally blinded the minds of those. And, and, and we, as the church, are called to pray and intercede for these people. But the Scripture also says, how will they believe in the glorious light of the gospel of Christ if people are not sent to preach? See, when God loves, His love actually sins. Amen? He sent, uh, he sent Jesus to die for us because He loved us so much and because He loves the world, He now chooses to send us to evangelize. But see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means that there are some people who are never going to believe. They're never going to have faith in Jesus Christ unless you actually are the one who goes to them and talks to them about Jesus and begins to at least share your testimony and say, look, this is how I used to live. This is what went on in my life. I used to struggle with alcohol or drugs or I used to be in this kind of a lifestyle and different things where in my life I used to just be afraid. I didn't want to share my faith with anybody, but, but, but I came to a realization and I, as I was growing in my, my relationship with Jesus, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I just want to share with you that God changed my life, Jesus changed my life. And I'm telling you, no matter how weird it may feel in the moment, no matter how crazy those people may think you are, there is a seed planted that births faith in the midst of darkness and all of a sudden, because you took a step of faith and despite your fear, despite your anxiety, you planted a seed that has the potential to grow up and transform that person person's life so that they can inherit eternal life and not live in hell when they die. And that is a, that is a, that, that is a, a crazy thing to think about, that one moment in a person's life. I, I've told you all the story a million times. There are, there are many people that I've talked to that when I spoke to them about Jesus, it was the weirdest situation in the world in the moment. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's one of those ones where you get red, you get hot, you're about to sweat, your armpits are stinking. I mean, it's just like everything bad is going on. And you just want to get out of the situation, but you know Jesus has sent you there to say something, so you say it anyway, and you're stumbling over your words, and it's not clear, and it's not going well, but then all of a sudden, you got months later, years later, where they come back to you, and because of that one seed that you sown, they start asking questions. Because of that one seed that you sown, they say, you know what, I went to church and I, I, can't, I could never get over the moment when you said that stuff to me and I gave my life to Jesus. And what if you're, you were so compelled by love that you were willing to set aside your fears, your worries, your anxieties, your own comfort to say, you know what, it ain't about my comfort, it ain't about my fear, my fear's not going to tell me what to do, this is a potential. Even if I look stupid and everybody doesn't like me in this group anymore, I'm going to say something about Jesus in this moment so that these people will have potential to believe and remove that blindness that Satan has put over their mind. See, this is what spiritual warfare is. This is why Paul told Timothy, he said that God has not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of power and love and a sound mind. See, what he was saying is that there's a gift of God on the inside of each one of you, but you have to intentionally stir up that gift of God because there is going to be pressure from the enemy to try to get you to keep your mouth closed, to try to keep you shut up as much as possible because he knows that if you speak the gospel to somebody, he is going to lose one of his people. They're going to come out of the darkness, they're going to come into the light, and then all of a sudden his kingdom begins to fall because you're speaking the truth in the face of that. But see, there's a lot of fear that's involved in sharing our faith. There's a lot of fear, and this is, like I said, why Paul told Timothy, he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. They tried to shut the apostles up when they started preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, they had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. They commanded them to not speak anymore in Jesus' name. And, and, and by the law, they said, we're going to imprison you if you speak anymore in Jesus' name. And you know what? When people say that to us today, what do we do? We don't speak anymore in Jesus' name. I'll just leave that where it's at. You can deal with it how you want to. I mean, I, I, know, I understand that there, there are jobs that they pro- you could probably get fired from. I understand that. And you need to use wisdom. But what I'm telling you is that Jesus is more important than a job. And we can use all kinds of different mentalities and aspects and different ways of thinking to say, well, we just can't really talk about Jesus in this way. You know, even Forrest Forrest Quillen, he goes out into some of the darkest places. And we've talked about it. And he he ends up in these schools speaking to children. And of course, when you go into schools, you can't just outright talk about Jesus, can you? And he doesn't. He speaks in a certain way, though, where, where they know that what this man is talking about is something different. What this man is talking about is different than what everybody else is talking about. And they come to him, and when they come to him, he begins to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And he begins to talk to them about salvation, and he's able to, to work. So what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, we're in a wolf world, but you are you're, to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Look for spots. Look for ways. Be wise in how you're going to deal with people because you have given the opportunity and God's placed you in people's lives that you are the only one that maybe can, can plant the seed of faith into their life. And see, now, when we talk about evangelism, here's another thing that I want to say. Evangelism does not necessarily mean that we go door to door, even though I've done that. It doesn't work that good. But it's a good thing. I'm all for it. If somebody wants to go door to door, go for it. I've preached up here in the Walmart parking lot before. You know how good that worked? I don't know. It didn't seem like it did work very good at the time. I saw a bunch of kids hanging out in the parking lot. This is about when I was 20, 23 years old or something. And I said, and I just felt like, man, I'm going to go over here and preach these guys. And I just, I walked right into the middle of this circle and just started preaching. They just all sort of looked at me like this. Yeah, and I was like, well, you know, I gave it a shot. I don't, I don't know what happened with, with that. I mean... Some people think, well, evangelism is you got to stand out on the street corner and just sort of holler at people and pass out tracts. I'm not even saying evangelism is that. Based on what Jesus is saying here, that's not what evangelism is. All of those things are good, but he's actually pointing to something different about evangelism here. And here's the model that he lays out. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Now, peace is is the Hebrew word shalom, and it doesn't just mean absence of conflict. It means to have wholeness, it means to have well-being, and it means to experience peace and harmony in your spirit, in your soul, and your body, so that it works out in your relationships with your family and ultimately the people in your life. 
so that every aspect of your life is walking in the peace of God, in the harmony of God, and you're in wholeness. So what he's saying is, when you go, when you go into a house, he says, speak peace on this house. And he says, and if there's a son of peace there, then your peace will rest upon it. Now, here's, here's one of the big aspects of what I want you to understand, is as a Christian, do you realize that you carry a treasure, a treasure in an earthen vessel? The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead actually dwells in you. That's a lot of power. We're talking about the same Spirit that took Jesus' dead body and raised Him from the dead and worked all the miracles that Jesus worked through Him. That same exact Spirit lives in you, but the reason that same power is not released is because in our mind we don't realize who we are. And a lot of times, here's the other issue, is our relationship with Jesus is flawed to a degree where a lot of times we don't carry peace with us. How many of you, you would say that in a day's time you actually carry peace around with you? He's saying that spiritually there's a place in Christ where you, you are a carrier of something more powerful than the world around you. That when you go into a house, you can actually release peace into a place. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that you need to step into your position of authority that you've been given as a Christian. And when you walk into a house, you can say to a person, hey, you care if I pray for you? Care if I bless you? And when you simply do that, and they say, usually people will be like, well, yeah, that's fine. We'll take all the prayer we can get. Oh, we love the Lord. You know, I mean, anybody say that. I don't care if they're shooting up crack cocaine. You know what I'm saying? They'll say, well, we love the Lord. And they'll let you pray. But when you pray... He is saying that what happens... Now, what happens with Christians is they honestly just don't believe in the power of prayer. Somebody amen me right quick. You don't believe in it because if you did, you would pray for way more people. And that's a good word. I hollered at you this morning. I told you I was going to holler. That's why they had to turn the mic down. If we really believed in it, we would pray for way more people. And I, I know on Facebook, you know, people put t- things that are going on. There's difficult situations and people will say prayers, prayers, prayers. I'm thinking, man, if people really did pray when they said prayers on Facebook, son, this world would be a different place. Because it's one thing to say prayers on Facebook. It's another thing to pray and intercede and then go lay hands on the person who's struggling and begin to believe God that God's going to comfort them, give them peace, give them healing, give them the deliverance that they need and press into that. It's such a, such a different thing. And I'm not condemning anybody who says that stuff. That's, that's encouraging. You want to know that your brothers, we do it. We got a small group thing where we say, hey, pray for this. And we respond. We say prayers, man. We're praying. And I try every time. I try, even if I'm busy, I try every time when somebody puts that on there. If I say prayers, I'm going to at least stop right where I'm at, literally, and stand there and say, Lord, bless this person right now. They're dealing with this. I'm asking you to, to do whatever that needs to be, you know. And I, I'll stop at that moment because I don't want to just say prayers and then not pray. Because we have to believe in the power of prayer. But here's what he's saying. He's saying you have authority that when you speak out of your mouth, you can go into a house and bless a house and speak blessing and speak the word of God and the promises of God over that house and speak peace and well-being and harmony over that family. And he said whether you feel anything or not, you're changing the atmosphere in the world around you. That you can bless a house. I kid you not, we, I work over here at Best Blessing and you get some people that come in from some messed up backgrounds. And, and you go in there after a weekend or a week's time or whatever and they'll come in and they say, man, I had a crazy dream. I saw a demon in the corner last night. And there's crazy stuff going on. Why? Because there is, there's spiritual warfare going on. And they're bringing attachments in with them. And you know what we do? We go into that house, we anoint that thing with oil, we bless it and we drive out the enemy and they say, man, I slept good last night. What's going on? Spiritual warfare is going on. And the only people that really understand that it's taking place is those who have the discernment to understand that prayer works. 
And just because you prayed and it didn't seem like anything happened, sometimes you'll pray and it will get worse in the beginning. Why? Because Satan is trying to shut down your prayer. Because he knows that you're exercising your authority and he says, no, i got to stop this. we got to make it look worse. Make it look like it's not working. Make it look like it's not working so they'll quit, they'll give up, they'll throw in the towel. That's why when Jesus taught prayer, when Jesus taught parables on prayer, what was the one thing that he always taught in prayer? Persistence. Persistence. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer. Never let it stop. When it fails, keep going. Every time it just seems like nothing's breaking through, you, can, you continue to keep going. Because why? When you're praying, spiritual warfare is breaking out. Demons are being bound. Darkness is being pushed back. And it's important that we understand our authority and that we share the kingdom with people. See, we go through this life, and I'll tell you something else about people that we deal with as Christians, is actually in our minds, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but in our mind, when we look around people at the world, you know, in a day's time, and we see people, we've got this, this kind of ongoing gossip column in our mind where we sit in a position of a judge where we either approve that person or we disapprove of that person. Anybody amen me on that? When you look at a person... You almost can't help it. It's a reflex. You look at a person and you approve of them or you disapprove of them. And you'll have 30 thoughts in a moment of time about why they're not good or why they're this or why they're that. And here's what I want to tell you is that as a Christian, you do have to exercise discernment. In Philippians, the scripture says to love, let your love abound with all discernment. That means that I'm not just going to let somebody, some hoodlum come in and run me over. You know what I'm saying? Like he's going to break into my house. Well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to love me. No, that ain't going to happen, right? I'm going to let him steal my stuff. That'd be weird. But on the same token, when I see people, I'm supposed to love them in such a way that I have to set aside my initial uh, ideas or, or misconceptions about who they are. I have to set that aside because according to the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm only allowed to have one opinion of them. And that one opinion of them is that they are so valuable to Jesus Christ, even while they are sinners, that He died for them on the cross. That means that every person that I come across is of an unsurpassable worth because God paid the ultimate price for them no matter how crazy or lost or in terrible shape they are. And I have to set aside every opinion to say this is my opinion about them and I have to choose to bless them. And here's something else I'm going to say. When you look at a person and you see somebody in bad shape, I, just, even if you cannot address them face to face, speak out of your mouth. Lord, I just speak blessing over that person. While you're driving down the road, you see a house and you just know that's a difficult place for a child to be. Lord, I just speak blessing right there over that house right now in Jesus' name. I speak peace. I bind the powers of darkness. And you say, well, that's pointless. I'm telling you, you get in the habit of doing this, we're going to see things change in our community. And not only that, but more importantly probably is your heart's going to change. Your capacity to love people that you could never love before is going to grow. And all of a sudden, now you're more sensitive to what's going on around you and you look at people and you realize, man, I need to be interceding. I need to be praying for these people because all of a sudden now you're not so self-focused. You become others focused. You start to look at other people in the world around you and you notice what's going on. See, the second thing in verse 7 and 8 we look at is, and, and, and here, here's what he's trying to say, is that true hospitality, evangelism is warfare, but also true hospitality is a form of warfare. Now in verse 7 and 8, it says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and, 
and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now, he's saying you're going into a house, and he says, now don't go from house to house, but go into a house and stay at that one house. Here's what, he, here's what he's saying to them. He's saying it's not really about quantity. It's about quality. I'm not telling you you need to go out and preach the gospel and get a hundred people to say the sinner's prayer. I'm saying over the next year, you need to pray about it and you need to ask the Lord, Lord, who are you interested in? Who can I build a relationship with that is a quality relationship that you love, that I can serve, that I can go out of my way to be in a quality relationship with them that will actually end up bringing them closer to you? He's not talking about quantity. He's not talk- See, because we think of evangelism as let's have a crusade and get to 10 out here and let's preach the gospel and get 10,000 people to raise their hands. Raising their hands don't do nothing. Doesn't do anything. You don't have a relationship with those people. You can't make a disciple. Jesus was never, Jesus never one time got done preaching a message and say, hey, if you want to believe in me, just raise your hand right quick. No, He never said that. He always said, and it's fine that we do that. It's, a good, it's an entrance point for us. It, gets, it allows us to connect with people and contact people. But Jesus was always calling people to follow Him because He was looking to change their entire life. One prayer can bring us into that place, but He was looking to change, he was looking to change their entire life. And here's the crazy thing that He says about this. He says, when you go into their house, He says, eat whatever is set before you. Y'all ever been in that position where you had to eat whatever was set before you? Y'all saw what I ate in Africa. Son, I ate a chicken with the eggs still in it. The heart, the gizzard, the neck meat. And they told, they told me you, it was whole. It was really good, but it, when you look at it, you know, and you open up the inside and there's still guts in there you got to eat. That's kind of challenging. <laughs> but you know, in that culture, it was rude to not eat what was set before you. But here was the, the craziest thing, is that if you, I don't know if you've ever read much of the Old Testament, but if you read the book of Leviticus, it's a real good read. Sit down and spend some time in that one. I mean, you'll get hung up a couple of times, but what you'll notice, in, in one place, Leviticus 11, for example, you're going to read almost an entire chapter on Jewish dietary laws. What you can eat, what you can eat. You can eat animals, but they got to have, you know, the, the cloven hooves and they got to chew the cud and they got to do this. So you can end up eating beef, but you can't eat pork, can't eat camels. And he gives this big, big list of stuff you can't eat. Can't eat ostrich, can't eat owl. You can't eat any fish with, 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 that doesn't have scales and fins. You can't eat shrimp, can't eat stuff like that. And, and literally, he says, these foods are going to be an abomination to you. That's the language that he uses. I would tell a story about how Jeremy couldn't eat pork at time, but... <laughs> so listen, you get in there, you find out you can't eat pig. And, and, but see, in, in the New Testament, obviously, we're not under those same dietary restrictions. But what happens is, is when they come into this, this is a big deal for them because this was a part of their holiness code. They were to be separated from the world and they were going to be different than the world based upon what they ate and didn't eat. So what Jesus was essentially saying to them was, don't allow your religious convictions to keep you from building a relationship with people who are not like you. Yeah, that is good there. Don't allow your religious convictions to keep you from building a relationship with people who are not like you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first got into church, man, the way that we preached and the way that we went at it... I, from what I could tell, we were supposed to distance ourselves as much from sinners as we possibly could. And let me say this. Some of you that are struggling with different sins and stuff, you do need to distance yourself from some people. 
Because when you are being influenced by the world more than you're influencing the world, you need to, for your spiritual sake, distance yourself from some people so that they don't just drag you back into a life of sin. See, now there, 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 there is that principle, but there's also the principle in the Christian life that we are to build bridges with those who are broken and not like us, and we cannot allow... See, a lot of people will come to you and they'll just be like, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time working at this job because people cuss at this job. I'm thinking, man, that's prime harvest. What you don't want to do is while your light shining in the darkness is remove the light from the darkness. Why would you want to work at a place where there's nothing but light? Good word this morning, right? Why, why would you want to? We, it's, like, it's like we just want to work in an all-Christian environment. My favorite job, I, I'll be honest with you, I do not like working at the church. Uh, because, you know, I clean toilets. There's not a whole lot of activity that goes on here from day to day. But thank God I get to go and I get to minister to people, man, who they bring in off the streets every day. And I get fired up. And I leave that job feeling refreshed a lot of times because what I get to sit down with people who are in bondage and I get to talk to them about Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's a fuel that comes from being able to minister and discuss things with these people. What I'm saying is, why would you want a job where there's nothing but light? What about going into the place of darkness and realizing that you are light and that the light is in you before long? If you continue to shine, that darkness cannot remain there any longer. What if you started to believe that about yourself so that every job that you went into, man, we represent jobs all over the place right here in this room. People in all sorts of different places. And we have the potential to shine such a light that people are transformed. Because here's the other thing that I find out is when you shine light, even if people do act bad before long, they, they change their tune. They really do. I mean, I cannot... Even the people that they bring in off the streets, I'll sit down and counsel with them. They start cussing everything all to pieces. And then they'll think for a minute and say, I'm sorry for cussing. I say, you ain't got to apologize to me. I'm not interested in whether or not you cuss or not. I used to cuss too. It's, not big, it's, it's really not that big a deal because we're not trying to get you to quit cussing. We're trying to get you a new heart and a new spirit and a new mind through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cuss as long, as much as you want to right now, but I'm telling you that if you believe what I'm telling you and you'll get in a relationship with Jesus, you won't be able to cuss anymore. There's going to be thanksgiving on the inside of your heart. And see, what I'm saying is, is we get hung up on small things that actually end up distance, distancing us from people rather than a relationship that's going to bring us to people. Jesus was the holiest man that ever lived. Y'all would agree with that. And the holiest man revealed that true holiness is not distancing yourself from sinners, but true holiness is, is, is overlooking religious convictions to be, build relationships with sinners that will ultimately transform those people's lives and bring them out of the darkness and into the light. See, this is why true hospitality is important. How many people would go out of their way to, you know, I mean, let's just imagine you've you got a neighbor, you know, you've got a neighbor and the dude is, he's just awful, you know, he's, he's perverse, he just stays drunk most of the time. Maybe he's abusive, he's just over hollering and cussing all the time. When you talk to him, he's angry, he's mean. Those are the people that you need to be asking yourself, how can I serve this person? How can I love this person? How can I pray for this person? And how can I go out of my way? See, Jesus ate with prostitutes, he ate with tax collectors, and he was the all-holy Son of God. And the Pharisees, the religious people, the guardians of moral righteousness, says, look at this compromise. He must be pro-prostitution. He must be pro-drunkenness. Jesus never one time condoned sin, but He never got right into the mix of trying to fix everybody's sin right away either. 
He sat down with Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and, and clearly living a, a, a wrong lifestyle. And you know what he said to Zacchaeus? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you up in that tree, bro. Let's go. I'm going to your house today. We're going to eat together. And he sits down to eat together. And what happens with Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't say one thing about his sinful lifestyle, doesn't say anything bad about him. I imagine he, Jesus comes in smiling at his wife, smiling at his children, blessing them, loving on them. And finally, Zacchaeus sits down to eat with Jesus and he feels so loved that he's so deeply convicted. He said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He said, whatever I've done wrong, I'm going to restore. And he said, if I've took, taken anything from anybody, I'm going to restore fourfold to them. What? The love of God brought them to a place of repentance. What I'm saying is I know people in my life. I've got some buddies in my life right now, and, and they're just, they just live a lifestyle that I choose not to live as a Christian. But when I go and I spend time with them, my first thing that I say to them is not always, buddy, you need to quit drinking alcohol. You need to lay it down. Because he doesn't need to... If he lays down the alcohol and he still doesn't know Jesus, what's the point? He's no different. So when I go to him, I try to build a relationship with him. And you know what happens in these relationships is before long, they know who you are. They know what you're about because you've never compromised. You stand for the truth. You don't back up, but you love them while you're in that relationship. And all of a sudden the door opens and they start to ask questions. And then there is a moment, and sometimes, let me tell you something else. Sometimes there is a moment when the Holy Spirit will give you a word where you need to speak to a person. Because there are some people that are in such destructive and harmful relationships that the only thing, or, or, or positions, the only thing that's going to bring them out is you being bold enough to tell them in love. And that doesn't mean you have to be mean. That doesn't mean you have to be angry. But there were people in my life, I had to tell them, I said, I said boys, if we continue to live this way, we're going to die. And this is not going to work. And when I told that to them, they, you know, they freaked out. At first, but it ended up helping them. And there are moments when you've got to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying, but we have to be open to being with these people and, and, and being in relationships with them. And see, in our world, we, could, we, we can so easily get into this holy club where we look down at everybody else and we just sit over here and congratulate ourselves about how good we are, and we forget the whole point. The reason this church exists is not for your sake at this point. Yes, it does exist for your sake and for your... For, for, for your your growth and your spiritual growth, but ultimately this church exists to become such a light in Christ that it transforms this world, it transforms this community outside of here, and every person in this place realizes who they are and, and they understand who they are, so it compels them in love to go out and reach the people around them. And you know something else? I want, I want to just say this, and there ain't many pastors that are going to say this, but you know that our goal is just not to get everybody to come to our church. That's not our goal. We're not working for a church. We're not working for a building. We don't care whether or not people come to City of Hope Church. We care whether or not they know Jesus Christ. If we can get them into another church, that's fine. But my point is being is that you can get so focused on your church, your church, your church, that you don't realize the global church is at work to save people. Because some of y'all, you live in London. Odds are not everybody from London is going to come here. You know what? If they do, that's great, but they just they need Jesus. And if you can get them to come to church, that's great. But if you can't, you've got to find alternate routes. You've got to find alternate means. Amen? Now, people have different dietary laws. And our, you know, our dietary laws, and we could look at an atheist person. I talk with people that are atheists a lot of times. And I'll tell you, most people that are atheists, a lot of times they just, they have, they, they're, they're confused about different things in their life. And, but, but we should never hold those things against them. 
when a person is confused, when a person's struggling with their sexuality, when people are, are, are dealing with these things, when they're a Democrat. <laughs> I mean, though, none of these things, none of these things become something where we should divide ourselves from those people and not reach out to them in love. Amen? So I'm, I'm going to close right here in cha- chapter, chapter 10, verse 9. Verse, uh, verse nine. It says, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then in verse 17, it says, and the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from, fall like lightning from heaven. And he said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What's going to hurt you? Nothing. Nothing will by any means hurt you. But he said, when you go into this place, he said, heal the sick there. See, there's another. So we've talked about two forms of spiritual warfare that, that Jesus is talking about should be in, in our lifestyle. And one's evangelism. And, and the other, I said, was hospitality. Being able to sit down, have a meal, have a relationship, build a relationship with somebody who's different than, she, than you in order to bring them into the kingdom. But this last thing is that when you go out, you, believe, you begin to believe God for the impossible. I want you to understand this language that he says. Jesus sends his disciples out, and he actually tells them, you heal the sick there. Isn't that messed up? Doesn't that mess with like what you've believed about what's possible? Because in Matthew chapter 10, in Luke 9 and 10, and over and over again in the Scriptures, Jesus didn't say, hey, go and pray, and maybe the Father will heal the sick. No, he gave them command, you heal the sick. Now, here's what I want to point out to you, is that we deal with a lot of sickness, we deal with a lot of disease, we deal with a lot of death, and we pray for a lot of people, and and sometimes nothing happens. And it's painful, and we question, and we begin to wonder, and we begin to doubt, we begin to worry whether or not God even does this kind of thing. But here's what I want you to know as a Christian. As a Christian, we cannot answer why people don't get healed sometimes. We can't fully answer because there are a million variables and a million reasons as to why people don't get healed. But our job as Christians is not to figure out the reason why it doesn't happen. Our job as Christians is to continue to pursue and obey the command to pray for the sick, to lay hands in the sick, on the sick and pray for them with the belief and the faith that they are going to recover. And now when we talk about sickness, we're not only just talking about physical sickness because when Jesus died on the cross, He paid for healing spirit, soul, and body. He prayed for healing in the spirit and sometimes in order for a person to be healed in their spirit, you know what they have to do? They have to believe the gospel and repent and pray. And we believe in a prayer of repentance for that. And we believe that that heals a person's spirit. Mentally and emotionally, there are people who have had trauma, they've, had, they've been wounded, they've been hurt, and there's different things that are going on in their life. And here's, you have to come into a position where you can be in a relationship with that person, and you need to be a person that they can talk to about things that they went through. And when they are dealing with those things, and they open those issues up, and they bring those things into the light, I'm telling you right now, you have power and authority in Jesus' name to speak to woundedness, to invite Jesus into that wound, to invite the Holy Spirit into that wound, and to command that pain to go, and pray that their hearts would be healed, and Jesus will heal them. And when it comes to physical healing, you know in the Scriptures you see over and over again that the the apostles and Jesus, they prayed differently than we do. They never one time prayed, Father, if it be your will. Heal this person. Because that would actually question whether or not it's the Father's will in the first place. But they knew their Father's will. 
They knew what the will of the Father was, and therefore they prayed the prayer of faith in expectation. And every time they prayed, they made a declaration and a command. And just some examples in the book of Acts, if you look at it in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Now, I like Peter because Peter's a lot like me. He denied Jesus three times, right? Like he messed up. He blew it. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter comes to a man at the gate that's been crippled from his birth, and he speaks and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't go lay his hands and say, Father, if it be your will, heal this man's legs. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Such as I have, I give it unto you. And he made a declaration. He goes on in Acts 9, 34, there was a man named Aeneas who was eight years paralyzed lying on a bed. And when he comes into the place, Peter looks at him and he said, Jesus Christ heals you, arise and make up your bed. In Acts 9, 40, right after that, Peter goes to another place and there was a woman named Tabitha that has been, she died and they're all weeping and, and, and Peter goes into the room and he puts everybody out because they're crying so uncontrollably. He says, listen, y'all get out of the room. And it says that Peter kneels down and he begins to pray. And I believe that first he was praying to God on her behalf, but then he stood up and he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And the woman rose up and was raised from the dead. He makes that declaration. Because here, when we're talking about prayer for people, I'm telling you, you have to get to the place where you're in the secret place with God and you're praying to God on behalf of people. But when you come and pray for people, oftentimes you're praying on behalf of God and you're speaking in His place. And you're making declarations. You're making commands. Paul, in Acts chapter 14, he comes upon a man and he's preaching and he keeps preaching. And there's this man that was crippled from his birth. And Paul looks at the man and he said, and he perceived within himself that this man had the faith to be healed. And he looked at him and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately his, his feet and ankle bones were strengthened. See, they were stepping into the place of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, when you pray, you pray the prayer of faith. You speak as if we know that it's God's will that He wants it to be done. And even if it doesn't happen, it ain't going to keep us from praying. Amen? He, this is, this is not, it's not an option. It's not something that Jesus said, well, you know, this might work, it might not. No, He said, you guys go. You go and heal the sick that are in this place. Scripture says, lay, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And finally, in, the book of, in Acts 16, verse 18, you guys can come to the music. Paul comes upon a town and he's preaching in Ephesus. And, and I, I love this story because, because Paul is preaching in Ephesus and this woman who's filled with the spirit of divination follows him and she actually tells the truth. She says, these, these are men that are servants of the Most High God who come to show you the way of salvation. And she kept saying it over and over again, but there was a wrong spirit in her. And Paul, it says, was greatly annoyed. And after many days, he turned and finally said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the demon left her. Now you say, well, we ain't never dealt with nothing like that. That's Bible. That ain't nothing we experience in our lives. So I was, care if I tell you a crazy story. I was going to quit, but I'm going to tell you a crazy story if it's okay. Raise your hand if it's okay. Okay, I got the majority. So a couple of months ago, this woman came to me, and she was, she was, she was in her 50s um, or, or, or 60s. I can't even remember, really. But she came to me, and, and, and we were talking. We were having conversation, and she was really struggling with some things, and she had a really bad addiction to drugs, and we were talking about, about different stuff. And she, she started to tell me, she starts, and she seemed like a very intelligent woman. She started telling me that she said, she said, well, I have these voices in my head, though. I said, oh. Let's talk about that. 
And as we're talking about it, she said, yes. Yeah. She said, I have, she said, I've actually tried to take my life twice. And I tried to do it, you know, through, through means of drugs and, and, and different things like that. And, and she said, but both times somebody caught me very early on and, 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 you know, and they brought me back. And she said, I tried to do it twice. But she said, I constantly hear this voice that's telling me how worthless I am and that I ought to just kill myself and I ought to just end it. And she said, I constantly hear that voice. I said, when did you start hearing that voice? She said, well, I was in, I was in my 20s. And, and, and she said, and I actually, she said, I was a Catholic. She said, I went to my priest and I told him because she said, I thought it was a demon. And I told him, I think I have a demon because I keep hearing these voices in my head and they just, they feel awful. They sound awful. And he said, well, honey, you don't have a demon. You, you just, you, you have a mental problem and you need help. So she went to the doctor. She was di- diagnosed with uh, some, some particular kind of schizophrenia. And she received, she received this diagnosis. They put her on meds for maybe a little bit. She said she didn't hear the voice. But even on the meds, later on it came back. And oftentimes it came back even worse. And so we talked about it. And she looked at me and she said, so, so she, she, she said I'm sure you just think like everybody else that I'm just a schizophrenic. I said, well, here's what I know. I said, I know Jesus died on the cross not only to heal schizophrenia and mental illness, but he died to cast out demons, and we've got authority over them too. I said, so if you're down for it, I said, I'll pray for healing of schizophrenia, and I'll also pray that this demon leaves you right now in Jesus' name. And she said, you'll do that? I said, yeah, I'll do that. And I said, just "Just relax right there. I said, we're going to pray. And as I'm saying this, I'm beginning to feel the presence of God. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When I do these things, I don't always know what's going to happen. I'm just trying to obey what I know the Word of God says. So I began to pray, and I, and I said, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I'm just asking for your love to rest upon this woman because you love her so much, you died on the cross for her, and you, you hate this torment that she's been dealing with. You hate it. And I said, so I'm asking right now for the kingdom of heaven to come upon this woman. And when I said that, when I said that, she started to tremble a little bit. And when she started to tremble a little bit, and I said, and I plead the blood of Jesus over her life right now, and we expose, in the name of Jesus Christ, every demonic force that has bound her these, these 30-some years. In Jesus' name, we command you to be brought out into the light right now. And she started to tremble and convulse right in front of me. And as soon as she started trembling and convulsing, I said, you spirit of suicide, you come out now in Jesus' name. And she puked into the floor. And this thing came out, and she and she was right. She was right there in her right mind. She said, "She said, what? What in the world was this? What? What? What, you, what just happened?" And she was just breathing and panting. I said, "I said, I think I think it left." She said, "I I, I think it left too." Yeah. And my point being is, my point being is, we've read the scriptures and we've just assumed that it's not really real. And in doing so, we've not stepped out in faith. And what I'm telling you is, you have to allow yourself to step out in places of faith to do. Now, now I could have easily just gotten scared and say, well, and just prayed a, a no-faith prayer, just brought Lord, help her and bless her. And you know what? Nothing would have happened. The devil knows when you know. And I'm not saying that we got to get crazy, and I'm not even saying that every diagnosis of schizophrenia is a demon. I don't know. I have no idea about those things. What I do know is what God has called me to do, and that's to pray for people. And when things happen... The Lord leads us and He helps us and He guides us. And we don't have to be weird. And we're not looking for crazy things to happen. But when people are bound and afflicted and tormented, man, love should compel us to at least go into the prayer closet and begin to say, God, this person, I don't know what to do. But this person is, 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 is sick, they're afflicted, they're in bondage, they're in torment. And God, if you don't show up in power and help us to set this person free, then they're just going to be in bondage their whole life. 
We don't know what to do, but God, we're coming to you and we're going to step out in faith and we're going to pray for people. And even when it doesn't happen, we're going, to continue, we're going to pursue breakthrough. And what I'm telling you is that, listen, when things don't happen in your life, this is something we grow in. This is not something that's just going to happen because you pray a prayer one time. You need to learn a lifestyle of evangelism, a lifestyle of hospitality, and a lifestyle of praying for people and believing God for the impossible. It's got to become a part of your everyday life. And see, this is the issue. This is what God is calling us to. 